Welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about the new privacy guidance from the Privacy Commissioner. Now, this was actually really interesting. And I've seen, Andrew, on some of the SOSH media, that's short for social media, and <laughs> wow. the news organisations, the news websites, bit of misinformation about out there about what the Privacy Commissioner said. Fake news. Well, no, it wasn't necessarily fake news. They were just misinformed. And so, (laughs) because of course, last week, the Privacy Commissioner did come out and give new guidelines about the sort of information that us landlords and property managers are able to collect from their tenants. And there are some cases that I've seen where some people have just got it wrong. So for instance, the New Zealand Herald reported that you can't ask about employment status. Now that is actually true, but the way in which they phrased it made it sound like you couldn't even check out whether a tenant was able to afford their rent. I've also seen from actually quite a high profile property investor who wrote on Facebook, I saw that they had a concern that landlords weren't allowed to verify a tenant can afford to live in a property. Now, that's actually completely false, which we'll get into. So, Andrew, just walk us through what does the guidance from the Privacy Commissioner actually say in terms of what we're able to ask from a tenant? Well, the main point is that you you can only ask for the minimum amount of information at the time that you need to do it. So you, you can't actually go over and above what's required to make an assessment as to whether or not this tenant's the right fit. So historically, property managers would just ask for a whole bunch of information up front, and then they'd work out who the best candidate was and and place them in the property and approve their tenancy. And so you end up with a whole bunch of information on people who aren't actually your client. They're not actually your tenant. And so what they're saying is that that's probably an inappropriate use of information. You know, there's the chance that it opens the door for, you know, privacy breaches, and, and that's what they're trying to avoid. And so the new guidance puts into place a process which basically says what you can ask for and when you can ask for it. So if someone's, you know, actually going to complete the tenancy process, then you can ask for the right information at that time. And there's five main steps for when you can collect this information, which we're going to go into. But of course, there are only three that are really noteworthy changes. So we'll cover the three most important. Now, the first one is before viewing a property. So at that point, this person doesn't even know they really, really want to live in this property. They just want to view it. What the Privacy Commissioner is saying you can only ask for is their name and some contact info. So to be able to go and meet them there and then to follow up with them afterwards for the viewing. Though if a tenant does want to fill out a full application in order to shortcut the process, they do have the option of doing that. But in order to be able to view a property, hey, just name and contact info. Now, why would that be the case? It's just because at this stage, it's about seeing if the tenant wants the property. They haven't decided that, hey, yes, I actually want to apply to live in this yet. But then once you move into applying for that property, things change a bit, right? When you're actually applying for a property, that's when you can ask kind of the usual things. So number of occupants that are intending to live in the property, actually verify their identity, their residences, whether or not they're smokers or have pets. But you can't ask for things like date of birth, income, proof of income, 
or employment status. And look, these are the factors that as a landlord you really care about because you want to make sure that you're actually being responsible when you're letting out the property to someone to who can actually afford to live there. You don't want to end up kicking them out in three months' time just because they're getting behind in their rent. But that's where it comes to the next phase, which Ed, you'll cover. Yeah, and that's one of the things that the Privacy Commissioner has come out and said, that you shouldn't ask for income at that stage. Now, that meant that a lot of media reported it as that you're not allowed to ask for income, which isn't the case, because once you start negotiating with the tenant, so this is the point where they want the property, and you know, hey, this is one of my shortlisted tenants, this is one of the people who I really do want to go and offer the property to. It's at that point that you are able to ask about their income and proof of income. So that could be things like payslips. It could be a letter from their employer confirming their level of income. Hey, if they're on a working income accommodation supplement, that's the point where you are able to ask for it. And of course, at that point, you can ask for the date of birth for the purposes of carrying out a credit check. So it's at that point that, hey, yes, you still have that ability to confirm that they're able to afford that property because you don't just want to take it on the tenant's word that, you know, yes, they can afford it. If, you know, unfortunately, they wouldn't be able to comfortably be able to afford that property. Now, what's important to note, though, is at no stage, at no stage are you able to collect their bank statements to check their spending habits. And for me, this totally makes sense. And reading between the lines, it sounds like there were probably a couple of landlords going over the top asking for that sort of info. You know, and I do think there's a bit of an invasion of privacy handing over your bank statements so somebody can check exactly what you spent and and when that happened to be. Because I do think that's really private information, none of the landlord's business. If you've got the income in order to be able to afford it and 30% of your income is going towards your rent or slightly under, then hey, sweet, I don't think it's any of the landlord's business to see what you spend your money on week to week. But there is some stuff that you can and can't collect and ends up being a bit of a grey line. So what I mean by that is you can't collect their age, but you can see that if you're collecting their driver's license to prove their identity or you've asked for their date of birth in order to conduct a credit check, then naturally you're able to collect their date of birth, but you can't collect necessarily their age. You can't ask them what their age is. And the reason behind this is that the privacy commissioners come out and say, well, you can't collect any information that would be used to discriminate against somebody based on the Bill of Human Rights, I believe it is. So you can't discriminate somebody based on their age. And because of that, you're not allowed to collect it, though you could naturally see it based on their driver's license, etc. You can't ask their citizenship status. So for instance, you can't ask, are you a New Zealand citizen? Do you have the right to work in New Zealand? But you would be able to see it if you asked for their passport. And you can ask them if they're on a fixed term tenancy, whether they've got the right to work in New Zealand throughout the length of that fixed term. But you couldn't do that if it was, for instance, a periodic tenancy. You know, similarly, you can't ask them for their employment status. You can't ask them whether they're a beneficiary or whether they're employed, whether part-time or full-time. But naturally, if you get a letter from their employer, if you get a, a pay slip, you're going to see whether they're employed or not. And naturally, you can't 
ask for anything that you could discriminate them on. So you can ask them whether that male or female, their gender, their sexual orientation, political persuasion, gender identity, <laughs> any of that stuff, which all makes sense, right? Because it's not actually yeah. relevant to whether they're going to be a good tenant or not. <laughs> but it is good to see that some of the things that would naturally be important for a landlord to know, you can still get in terms of, hey, I can see that, yes, they are able to afford the property. I just have to ask it a little bit later on. But let me ask you this, Andrew. What about social media? Because there was some really interesting guidance from the Privacy Commissioner about this as well. Yeah, so the main thing is you can't ask a tenant to provide their social media URLs or links or hang names or whatever the hell you call those things. And <laughs> But you can, of course, just search them. So you can search it yourself. And if their privacy settings are such that you can access all that information publicly, then absolutely people can go through and have a look at that themselves and make an assessment if they deem that kind of stuff relevant. And I, look, I know Venture absolutely checks out social media and has a look at kind of an interesting thing is if someone said that they're a non-smoker and there's pictures of them with cigarettes in their hands from last weekend you probably think maybe they're not telling the truth and if they're having parties all the time at their house you're probably going to make a judgment call I don't go into any of this stuff myself but I know my property managers do and I probably you know I guess I would want them to kind of say hey look we're not going to rent this out to some people who are partying all the time at least partying and then putting it on social media or you know if they've liked Chloe Swarsbrook or something like that <laughs> you can't say that because that's discriminating against them based on their political persuasions, however misguided they I, ju- I was just joking there for you, Ed. <laughs> but I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible. She, she might listen to this, Andrew, and we'll be on, on the green Oh, absolutely not. She'd, bur- she'd burn if she listened to one episode of this thing. Oh, 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 gosh. Now, let's discuss what are some of the risks for the guidelines and how we manage these guidelines being brought on. Now, one of the things that I think property managers might consider as I was preparing for this episode is that the biggest risk I see is that it's going to take more time and more admin to collect info on a tenant because you've got to do it progressively. You can't ask for it all up front. And I suppose income is that big one because, look, you don't want to be showing a whole bunch of tenants a house that they might not be able to afford. It's not a good use of anybody's time if, you know, they genuinely couldn't afford it. So, you know, one thing I've been thinking about is Maybe property managers should start advising tenants on advertising, on the trade me listings or the realestate.co.nz listings. You know, a rough household income that they should probably have in order to rent the place. You know, that might be a useful guide so the tenant can figure out, would my application be accepted? You know, is this the right sort of property for me? You know, and I think, just to give you an example, let's say that we consider an absolute max of 40% of the tenant's after-tax income being allocated to rent a place. And that would be absolute, absolute max. So let's say that the rent was $500 a week. Look, the person should roughly have an annual household income income of 65k after tax which is about 85k before tax you know at an absolute stretch so you know that could be two people earning 42 and a half k each if we were using a 30 percent of income after tax threshold then you know that'd be 86k after tax about 118k before tax so two people earning 60k each renting a property that is renting for 500 dollars. i think some sort of guideline from property managers may be somewhat useful so instead of saying hey what's your income and then saying is it enough 
actively saying, hey, look, you should probably have X amount of income in order to be able to rent this property comfortably, which I think would probably be quite useful for tenants as well. Yeah, and I find it interesting that, you know, I understand that we don't want people's privacy to be breached unnecessarily, but there's such a pressure on banks to be responsible when they're lending. It's no different when you put someone in a house. If they're paying a rent and they've got a financial obligation, we as landlords have to be responsible as well. You don't want to put someone in a worse financial position because you're renting out a house that's unaffordable to them just because, you know, they're desperate and they want to sign up for something. Sorry to go off on a tangent. Just on that though, Andrew, it was interesting. I saw a great comment from Peter Lewis, who is one of the big wigs in the Property Investors Federation and associations. And he said, so let me get this straight. The bank can ask me a whole heap of stuff in order to decide whether to lend me 800k or not to buy a house. But if I then decide to lend my 800k house to a tenant, I can't ask them half as much of the stuff. And essentially, it's the same thing. The bank is lending me money. I'm lending the equivalent value of the house to this tenant to look after or to live in over that time. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that a landlord should be able to ask as much as a a bank asks. But I think, you know, there's a point in there that he's making, which probably makes a bit of sense. Having said that, I do think that these privacy guidelines are workable. And, you know, what do you think about them, Andrew? Are they pretty fair-minded or they're a bit heavy-handed? No, I actually think in in this instance, they are pretty fair-minded. And look, there are some kind of ways around things. So like you said before, you can't ask the age, but you can ask for their passport or driver's license. You can't ask about their residency status, but you can ask for their passport as part of your process and then go, oh, okay, well, this person's a permanent resident, you're fine. And there's a that amount of flexibility is going to make it okay to be able to assess someone's ability to afford the rent. And that's what's really important. And it is important as landlords, you follow these rules and understand them if you're self-managing or otherwise I'd recommend just use a property manager let the experts deal with this kind of thing because landlords who fail to follow these kind of processes have got fines of up to $10,000 so pretty serious fines if you get this wrong repeatedly fantastic let's wrap that up there but please don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast really does help us get the message out to more people and hey if you want to learn more about property with andrew and i check out our youtube channel because every wednesday we're releasing a brand new video about how to be a better property investor so if you want to subscribe there just go to google google opus partners youtube hit that subscribe button and that'll really help us keep growing the show for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Edward Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of using the property market. Until next time. <laughs>